I want to address uh, earlier uh, or uh, at our leadership meeting, we initially discussed having a Good Friday service, um, but I felt in prayer uh, just to continue our Wednesday night, I really didn't feel uh, uh, every time we tried to plan to move forward, I felt that we would keep it on Wednesday. And I'm going to be preaching the seven last words of Jesus, so be here on Wednesday. Today is Palm Sunday, and it begins Holy Week. Everybody say Holy Week. Come on, say Holy Week. Now, let's be clear. Every day is the, is the Lord's Day. But we ought to take at least one day out of the week, at least that, to separate it unto the Lord, to rest and to worship him. I said this morning, and it's been heavy on my heart, we are living in ironic days and times. Not that there's anything new under the sun, but I said I find great irony in having to encourage and push people to make God their priority as if they have something better to do or more important to do other than be in the will of God and in the presence of God. What is more important than being in the house, in the presence, and in the will of God? If somebody needs to push you or beg you to make God your priority, you need to examine your heart and ask yourself, do you really love him and are you really following him? And I'm not apologizing for those words. When you love somebody, you want to be with him as much as you can. Don't tell me no. Where you when you love somebody, where there is love and affection, you don't need to beg somebody to come. You don't need to check if they're coming. No, 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 no. You want to be there. I don't know about you, but I believe in these last days, the days and the times of having to beg, poke, and prod people to come to the house of God, I'm getting real, really, I'm sorry, it's just a little bit, I'm getting me canso of telling me, please come. No, you shouldn't have to be told, please come. The ones that we compel to come in are those who don't know the Lord God. Let me tell you who needs to be compelled. Those who don't know him yet, but those who know him, you don't have to beg them to come and, and serve him, worship him, and glorify him. No, you're already in the family of God. You should love your father. And the word of God says, go out and compel them. He's not talking about those that are already part of the family. He said, go and compel those who are not yet part of the family. But why are we compelling those that act like they are in the family? Oh, help us, Jesus. These are the days we live in. Ironically, we find ourselves trying to compete with entertainment of the world. It's amazing. Churches in the valley are competing with Kanye West, who's going to hold an Easter Sunday church service at Coachella Fest. Did you hear what I just told you? We have churches that are competing with Kanye. There are people, churches around the, some churches around the valley are saying, uh-oh, Kanye's having Easter service at Coachella Fest. And they were afraid that their people were going to go to Kanye's service instead of theirs. I find it laughable and at the same time deplorable that we have churches in our community that are afraid that their people are not going to go to church on Easter Sunday because they'd rather have church with Kanye West. And I said this to a group of young people at a camp that I ministered, ministered to at yesterday. I said, think of this, young people. Kanye West is holding church service on Easter Sunday at Coachella Fest, where I live, because we were in San Diego area. I said, the man doesn't know God. He is an infidel. He is a blasphemer. Are you in the house? I'm just going to get off my high horse already because y'all look really, really leery and, and it's almost sad that I'm telling you these things. But I opened up those curtains this morning for a reason. I want you to see the empty chairs. 
I want you to see the need. I want you every time you come to church, grab flyers and invite your neighbors. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Those curtains need to come down. Today I worshiped in the back and I felt that in my spirit, take those curtains down because what it does is it encourages apathy. It encourages us to have a blase attitude about the house of God. You should be zealous for his house. So do I expect you to come to church twice a week? You bet I do. Should you have to be begged and reminded that we have church? You should not. You should come because you love him and because you desire to be in his house. And if you feel like that's offensive, I'm not sorry. Amen. Maybe I should put a smile on my face. It's better that way, right? Listen, we initially also intended to have prayer here every night at church. We realize that it's hard for, for many people to come. We're not trying to accommodate you. But during Holy Week, listen carefully, every night you choose the time between you and God and your family, gather and pray. Everybody say, gather and pray. Read the Gospels. Read, the, read Passion Week from the Gospels with your family. Sit down. Take a time to pray every day this week during Holy Week. This is Holy Week. Everybody say Holy Week. Every day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, up until Resurrection Sunday. Take time every day to say, Lord, during this week, I'm going to make an extra effort to sit and pray and seek your face. Okay? I'm not going to tell you the hour. We're not going to do that. But every day this week, make time to pray. And I'm not talking about the five minutes that you do before bed every day. Set, a set apart an extra time during this week, a time of consecration. Thank you. All right. Children, you're dismissed to your class. God bless you. Please stand and go with me in your Bible to the book of Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. For a few years, we stopped having what we were calling Good Friday services, and there's a very simple reason for that. We, we ought not necessarily to commemorate a day. There's nothing wrong with people who have Good Friday services, but we ought not really to commemorate a particular day. What matters is that Jesus died. Okay? Second of all, if you do math or if you know that one day is sun up to sundown, you know that it's, it's mathematically impossible for Jesus to have been crucified on Friday. That's not three days and three nights. That's neither here nor there. Don't fight me over that. Just telling you that. Don't, 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 don't make a day sacred. We're going to be here on Wednesday night, and we will take communion on Wednesday night, uh, and we might as well call it Good Wednesday. If you need the word good in front of it, then call it Good Wednesday. If that helps you, call it Good Wednesday. If not, let's commemorate the death of Jesus and its importance. Revelation chapter 19, then we'll go to Matthew 21. <clears throat> when you have it, say, I got it. Today I'd like to minister for our, the remainder of our time, one king, two arrivals. Revelation chapter 19, I'm not even there myself. Let's look at verse 11 through 16, reading out of the ESV this morning. It is a word-for-word -word translation. I like it. I like King James. I like ESV, and I like NESB. They're all word-for-word -word translations. That's what's important. Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16. Uh, I'm going to read. You don't have to read aloud. Uh, consider the following. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns or many diadems. 
and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. 16. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. What is that name? King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's read 16 together. Ready? Read. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. Now shout it out. King of kings Lord of lords. Father, we thank you for your presence that is with us this morning. Lord, what an honor it is for us to come and worship your great name in your house. Father, I thank you, uh, Lord, for waking us up today and for giving us, Lord, the desire to be in your presence. Father, great is your name and greatly to be praised. On this Palm Sunday, Lord, we do consider your triumphal entry, Lord, your first coming. But more than that, Lord, we await your second coming. And our prayer, our heart's desire, and our heart's prayer is, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I pray as we sit at your feet that you would feed us the bread of heaven until we want no more. That your people would be edified and that your name would be glorified. Anoint me, Lord, to preach your word like you gave it to me. And, this we, will, and we will be careful in this to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. What I'd like to do this morning is to help us hear... Jesus' own declaration of his kingship. Everybody say kingship. I want us to see now from the Gospel of Matthew, the 21st chapter, how Jesus says to us, I am your king. Jesus declares his kingship. And as a pastor for the last 13 years, this is my 13th year, this is my 13th Palm Sunday, one would wonder, well, how do you preach the same text 13 years, 20 years, 50 years over and over again? Because the word of God is always alive, always true, always fresh, and always new. This morning, I'd like for us to consider how Jesus declared, ready, I am your king. And not only his declaration of kingship, but I want us to see towards the end, I want us to see the differences between his first arrival and his second. If I have an objective this morning through the Spirit of God and the Word of God, it would be for us to see and to feel the difference between the first arrival of Jesus and the second arrival of Jesus. Now go with me to Matthew chapter 21. Let's begin in verse 1, Matthew's Gospel, the 21st chapter. I believe that Matthew helps us to see how Jesus declared his kingship in our text. And before we read it, I want you to understand the following. The nature of Jesus, let's put it up there, the nature of Jesus' kingship now creates a time or a dispensation or a season of salvation. This is the dispensation that we're living in right now. It's a time where you and I can still be saved. Thank God for that. It's a time where our loved ones, our neighbors, our coworkers can come to Christ and find mercy, find forgiveness, find redemption. There's still time for you and I to choose who you will serve. 
This is his kingship. His first arrival inaugurated a dispensation of grace. The door of the ark is still open. Now is the time. Now is your opportunity if you've yet to do so. I'm assuming if you're at church at 8 in the morning, you've already done so. But now is your opportunity to say, I have yielded my life to King Jesus. Now's the time for you to bow that knee and say, he is my king. Now's the time. And in Matthew's gospel, we see that when Jesus declares his kingship, uh, he shows us the nature of his first coming. It was meek and lowly, gracious and salvific in nature. But you need to know, secondly, that the kingship of, the kingship of Jesus will look different than it does now. This meek and lowly Savior who came riding into Jerusalem a week before his crucifixion will not return in the same manner. Let's be clear. The kingship of Jesus will look entirely different than it does right now. We just read in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16, and that gives us a brief description of the coming kingship of Jesus. Let's be clear. The Jesus that we find in Matthew's gospel, the 21st chapter, his triumphal entry and the cleansing of the temple, these things, what we read here, though there may be similarities, please understand the meek and lowly Jesus who came and yet abides to save those who would come. The Jesus that will come the second time is a little different in his kingship. The nature of his kingship is not the same. It will be different. Look at our text now because Jesus declares there are a few ways that Jesus declares the fact that he's king. So this is what the triumphal entry basically is about. Jesus declaring his kingship. Now, I want you to see how he uses prophetic uh, Old Testament uh, scripture to de basically declare, hey, I am he. I'm the one that they're talking about. First of all, Jesus declares, number one, take note of this, number one, Jesus declares his kingship by riding on a donkey. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 and verse 10. Number one, Jesus declares his kingship, first of all, by riding on a donkey. Matthew 21, we'll read Zechariah in a moment. Matthew 21, verse 1 through 5. Follow along with me in your Bible. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill that which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming. Let's read verse 5 together. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Verse 5, notice with me. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. I like that. When Jesus enters into Jerusalem seated upon a donkey, he was fulfilling the, he was declaring, not only was he fulfilling the prophecy, but he declares, I am the one that Zechariah spoke of. So when we read in verse 5 in Matthew where it says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming. So when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, seated on a donkey, what was he doing? He was indeed declaring himself to be their king. He was saying, I am your king. Zechariah 9 verse 9 and 10 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. 
Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. In Matthew's gospel now, here we see the fulfillment. Their king had come to them. Somebody shout hallelujah. Because not only had the king come to, to, to Jerusalem, not only had their Messiah come to them, not only had their king come to them, but he has come to us as well. And thank God because you have bowed your knee to that king. Thank God you're saved today and you are able to sing Hosanna to the son of David. But when Jesus rode in on a donkey, he was saying, I am he, I am your king. Don't get it twisted. His kingship is declared when he rides in upon a donkey. He's saying, I am coming to you humble, meek, and lowly. I'm coming to you this time on a donkey, not on a white war horse. I'm coming this time to save you, not to slay you. Behold your king. What a great fulfillment and what a great declaration. I think we make less of that when we talk about the triumphal entry. We don't see Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey as his declaration of, I am king. It's exactly what he was doing. Jesus is declaring, I am he, I am your king. The second way that Jesus declares his kingship is by cleansing the temple. We see the fulfillment or the, pro the prophetic utterance was written or found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 56, verse 7. Go there in your Bible. In Isaiah 56, verse 7, we read again, watch about the coming kingdom of the Messiah and what will typify what, what's something that the Messiah or the coming king will do. Isaiah 56, verse 7 says the following. Ready? Everybody read. Ready? Read. These... Wait, everybody together, ready, read. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful. Everybody say house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for some peoples, for some peoples, for white peoples, for black peoples, for brown peoples, for yellow people. Somebody shall all peoples. Jesus declares his kingship, watch it now, by cleansing the temple. I'll go to Matthew 21 now, go back to our text, watch. Same triumphal entry. After Jesus enters into the city, you know the story. Look at verse 12 and 13 now. We read the prophecy in Isaiah 56. Let's see the fulfillment. Verse 12 and 13, ready? Are you there? Say amen. Ready, read. And Jesus entered the temple and what? Drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. 13. And he said to them, what did he say? Wait. And he said to them, what did he say? It is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you make it. You see, Isaiah prophesied that this coming king would cleanse the temple and make it a house of prayer. Jesus comes ready and he fulfills the prophecy. But by, and by fulfilling the prophecy and by cleansing the temple, he again is declaring, I am king. Who else could do that? There's something that makes this Old Testament quote so significant because what Isaiah is talking about is the coming kingdom of God. I repeat, when we read the Old Testament prophecy, with the context of Isaiah's uh, narrative is the coming kingdom. So when Jesus cleanses the temple, you have to see not only prophetic fulfillment, but you have to see a powerful declaration. 
Jesus is saying, I am he. I'm the one that was prophesied about. I'm the one that was foretold by the prophet Isaiah. My house, my house, by saying my house, he in turn is declaring, I am he and I am king. You have to see the cleansing of the temple as a declaration from Christ that he is the king of kings. And many times when we read through the narrative of the triumphal entry, we don't see these prophetic declarations. What is Jesus declaring? Real simple, I'm king. Are you following me so far? So put it up. So when Jesus chooses, when Jesus chooses a prophetic word to interpret his actions in the temple, he chooses one that underlines his kingship. This is important. When Jesus cleanses the temple, and we're going to go on with another declaration. There are at least two more. We'll have time for one at least. When Jesus chooses an Old Testament prophecy that speaks of his Messiahship, when he chooses these, he does so obviously intentionally. But apart from that, he does so ready to underline his kingship. His kingship is at the forefront. Everybody say kingship. His kingship is at the forefront. Now, we don't live during a day and time of kings, but can you imagine if we did? If we did, Donald Trump would be your king. True story. Donald Trump would be your king. Now, we have a president. We live in a democracy, things of that nature. But understand the significance of what Jesus is doing and saying. Put yourself into the text. Imagine that you were there that day when Jesus entered and said, I am he. When he entered into the city, notice that when he says, uh, this day, when, when Jesus declares the words, this day is this word fulfilled in your hearing, uh, he's ultimately saying, I am he, I am king, I am your Messiah. That's why they wanted to kill him. That's why they gnashed at their teeth. And that's why the Bible says that as the people cried out, Hosanna, son of David, save us, that the Pharisees and the religious, they grew angry and said, shut these people up now. Because what he was saying was, I'm the king, and I'm here. It's the equivalent of you walking in and saying, hey, everybody, I'm your king. I'm here to save and deliver. It's the equivalent of Elder Brown walking in and saying, ha, 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 today I fulfill the prophecies about me. I am your king now. Are you following me? The declaration of Jesus as king is heavy. It's hard to accept. But he did it anyway. Why? Because he was indeed who he said he was. Does anybody believe that he is king of kings? All five of you. That's all right. So Jesus declares he's king by cleansing the temple. Thirdly, his third declaration that he is king, ready, comes by healing. Isaiah 35, go there in your Bible. Verse 4 through 6, in Isaiah 35, verse 4 through 6, we see the same idea. The context of Isaiah's text here in the 35th chapter, again, is the coming kingdom. The coming kingdom of God. These, these are things that the Messiah will bring with him. These are things that, the, that we will see in the kingdom. And there will be many similarities between the second king, or the second, how do you say, reign of Christ on earth. But please see, I want you to understand, and we're going to get to Revelation at the end. Because honestly, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to share this with you. I just wanted to just preach Revelation and just talk about his second coming. That's all I wanted to do today. But somebody has to know that Jesus comes to declare that he's king. And my heart was heavy because I'm thinking to myself, wow. What kind of service do we offer to our king? 
My heart was heavy, and I believe the Lord said, I need you to address this, because I was stuck in Revelation 19. I get to preach Revelation. I love Revelation 19, and here he comes. And, right, and I, can, I can think of Brother Perkins and, and pick your horse and name your horse. And I remember Brother Perkins, every time he preached, I've heard him preach it a hundred times. He's got to get a new message about that. But I love it every time. You might as well name your horse. He said, I've already named my horse, because one day I will come riding back with King Jesus. Ah. Uh, I don't know how to ride a horse. I tried it once, never again, because God gives us wisdom. <laughs> Jesus declares his kingship watch by healing. I just wanted to preach Revelation 10 and talk about his second arrival, his second coming. Jesus is like, no, 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 I want, I want you to see how I declare myself to be king because there are far too many who live as if I'm not. You see, a king has subjects, and yet many of our prayers, I'm about to lose all of you, our prayers, our songs, our so-called devotion, our allegiance is fickle at best. Instead of revering our great king, we treat him as if he's an option on the long list of things that we have to do. Instead of treating him like the king of glory that he is, we treat him as if he's nothing more than a kill time. Do you live as if you recognize his kingship? Does he rule over your life? He is king. And he is no less king today than he was then. And today our heart's devotion must turn to him and say, you are my king. We just sang unbeknownst to the people that were singing. They had no idea what I would preach. I didn't have a meeting with them. You are my king. But my deceased uncle said something to me years ago that stuck to my ribs. He said, son, you can sing a lie like you can tell a lie. God forbid that this assembly sing, you are my king, when we live in rebellion to his kingship. Let's get back to the sermon. Jesus declares his kingship by healing Isaiah 35, verse 4 through 6. Ready? Read! Wait, are y'all okay? That just took all the wind out of your sails, right? Oh, I don't want to continue. Ready, read. Say to those who have an anxious heart, what? Be strong, fear not. Behold, our God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and what? Save you, verse 5. Then, somebody shout then. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf 
Verse 6, then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Go to Matthew 21. We're, we're going back and forth. Matthew 21, verse 14 now. Now I want you to understand this because Jesus declares his kingship by healing in the temple. What an impact that must have had. The temple was busy during this time, full of people, multitudes gathered around, and Jesus Jesus began to heal the sick. This obviously is a partial fulfillment of what was prophesied. This is, we're not talking about migraine headaches. We're not talking, no, we're talking about real healing. Jesus healed my headache and it went away. No, I'm talking about blinded eyes being open. Deaf people, come on, deaf ears being unstopped. I'm talking about the layman leaping like a deer. What a manifestation and what a declaration. What declaration? He is king. Matthew 21, verse 14. Ready? Read. And the blind and the lame, what? Where? And he. All of this happened right after the triumphal entry. We focus on the entry and we miss the prophetic fulfillment that follows. I pray that this year your understanding of the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday would be broadened. This is not just about the entry. It's what took place prophetically after he entered into the town. Because after he enters into the town, he begins to fulfill one by one the prophecies of the king who would come. And by doing so, he says, what? I am king. Imagine do you remember when John asked, when he was incarcerated, and John asked, uh, are, 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 you, are you the one that we've been waiting for? Oh, you're not familiar with it. John, watch in Matthew 11, he'd say, are, are you the expected one, or should we look for somebody else? And I love Jesus' response, uh, because John, in, in other words, was saying, are you the coming king of Israel? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus' response to him, ready, was, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. Tell him, I love it, that the blind receive their sight and tell him that the lame are walking. In other words, yes, I am the coming king. Look no further than me. It's incredible. In his first arrival, Jesus comes riding on a donkey. In his first arrival, he comes gentle and patient. He comes cleansing his father's house and declaring that it would be a house of prayer for all the nations. He comes healing the blind and the lame and the sick. He comes to save. But his kingship to come will be a little different. Go now to Revelation 19, and here we close. And I need to say what you should know already. The king, lastly, has come and is coming. Everybody say with me, the king has come and is coming. So what's the difference between his first arrival and his second? Let's look. Revelation chapter 19, look now, verse 11. Now I get to enjoy myself at the end of the sermon. Since y'all don't look like you're enjoying it very much, I am enjoying this thoroughly. I have to say, I, I, I was 
invited to a youth camp uh, some months ago, and I reluctantly agreed, and I, and I struggled to, to want to go. I didn't want to go. And I told, uh, I was telling, I just felt, so, I said, I just didn't want to go. I, I, was, I didn't want to pack my bag. I didn't want to go, Sister Luba. I didn't want to drive two and a half hours to go and minister to the youth. I didn't want to go. The Lord hears me. But how many know that oftentimes when you don't want to go, it's because you need to go? So I don't really want to go and camp out. I, you know, the camping thing and the cold shower. I'm just, I'm just getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Don't look at me that way, Sister Brown. She's like, you ain't old, boy. So I went. The camp consisted of about 30 kids. And we met in a tiny prayer chapel that had glass, just clear white glass everywhere. And it was just enough to fit us 30 people like us, like sardines in that tiny little prayer chapel in the mountains. That first night, uh, they began to sing. Uh, uh, there were two musicians. One of the, they were both young people. And one played this keyboard, and it was just, it was about as big as this pulpit. He was playing like this. He looked like Charlie Brown. And he was playing his keyboard, and his friend was playing the guitar. And as the majority of the youth in this camp were girls, and as they began to sing in that, it had a tall ceiling. Ironically, it was super tiny, but it had a tall ceiling full of glass. And as they began to sing, the presence of God filled that little prayer chapel. Immediately, I recognized the coming of his presence. And I hung my head and I said, Father, forgive me. You send us to those who would hear. You send us to preach the gospel, whether there are many or whether there are few. And I hung my head in shame because I, I could sense the presence of God come like a gentle dove and fill that prayer chapel. Spider webs all up in the ceiling because it was in the mountains. But I thought to myself as I looked up and saw the dust and I saw the spider webs and I thought, what a gracious and merciful God that he would come and abide in a temple like this. And that he would inhabit the praises of 18 young girls and seven or eight boys. I preached to them as hard as I could as if there were 2,000 in that, in a mega auditorium. Listen, not to, don't, this is not to boast about me. I didn't want to be. As I shared the gospel afterwards, I said, bow your head in prayer. And we began to pray. A girl who was sitting literally one foot away from me, because that's how big the chapel was. We were literally, she was literally one foot away from me. The presence of God hit her. She fell to her knees. Listen, she fell to her knees because their theme was walking in the light. She fell to her knees and began to cry out, but those cries turned into a demonic manifestation. She began to scratch the carpet with her nails. She began to pound the ground as hard as she could and cry out. And all you could feel was her pain and anguish. You could feel that demonic oppression of this young girl's soul. I would find out the day after that she was only 20 years old. It became apparent, I believe, that she had been violated in her infancy, abused as she shouted out, listen carefully, 
I hate you. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I reached over and began to pray for the other youth leader that was there, came and we began to pray for the girl. That anguish and that pain, that torment lifted. She began to sob, and her cries of anger and hatred turned into soft and broken worship to God. Listen carefully. I went back to my room that night, and I asked the Lord again to forgive me. And I said, if, if for one I came. If for one I came. And then I realized, no, for one you came. This is the dispensation we live in. His kingship, his first kingship, his first dispensation is still working, active now. Now you can come to Jesus and find mercy. But at his second arrival, things will not be the same. If you are going, no, let me say it this way, you will bow the knee to King Jesus. It will be willingly or it will be in judgment. I pray that today you would recognize now, while there is yet mercy to be found, that he is your king. Because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right. Revelation 19, let's finish strong reading about our great king. Now let's read together. Can we read together before we go home? Now, what's the difference between his first coming and second? Ready? Read. Then I saw heaven open. No, I want you to read it like you believe this. Ready? Read. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Notice upon his first arrival, he was mounted on a donkey. Upon his second arrival, he will be riding a white horse. Hallelujah. Let's keep reading verse 12. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Upon his first arrival, he came as our justifier, but at his second arrival, he will come as judge. Upon his first arrival, his eyes were full of compassion. But upon his second arrival, his eyes are like a flame of fire. Can we continue reading? I want you to see the difference here. When he came first, he came wearing a crown of thorns. But at his second arrival, he will not don a crown of thorns. He will wear many diadems. Many crowns will be laid upon him. No more crown of thorns. Wow. No more mocking. Hear me. No more mercy. What? 
He's a God of mercy. Every day his mercy is new. At his second arrival, he will come to rule the nations. Because at his first arrival, he came to redeem the nations. Upon his second arrival, he comes to rule the nation. And he comes to rule, ready, with a rod of iron. That gentle staff of the shepherd has been changed now into a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the wrath and the judgment of a holy God. Can we keep reading? I'm sorry, I get, I, I get involved. 13, ready, read. He is clothed, help me read. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. 14, and the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Are you in that army? Are you in that army? Let me help you, you should be. I'm in that army. From his mouth, 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will, not might, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Upon his first arrival, he bore the wrath of sinful men. At his second coming, he will tread the winepress of the fury and the wrath of God. That's our king. And I pray... I pray that you would yield your life to his kingship while there's yet mercy to be found. Because this king who came humble and lowly will not return in that same fashion. He came the first time riding on a donkey. He comes the second time mounted upon a white horse. He came the first time with eyes of mercy. He comes the second time with eyes like a flame of fire. He came the first time with a shepherd's staff. He comes the second time with a rod of iron. He came the first time to redeem the nations. He comes the second time to rule them. He will tread the winepress of the wrath and the fury of God Almighty. Have you bowed your knee to this king? Then stop living like you're not his servant. Father, thank you for your word. We fail miserably to live in a way that recognizes your kingship like we ought to. We live as if we have no king. We live as if you have no rule. We live as if you have no right to govern, to lead, to discipline. We live as if our lives are our own. We live as if we choose where we would go, what we would do, what we would buy as if you are not our king. Today we repent, Lord, of such attitudes of heart. And just like we sang moments ago, you are our king. We are your servants. And we willingly bow our knee today in submission to your authority and declare with the host of heaven, Jesus is king of kings.
And Jesus is still Lord of lords. May the word of God find good ground in our hearts today. And as we begin Holy Week, let us never forget, God, as silly as it sounds, that you are king of our lives and we are your subjects. And this, Lord God, does bring joy to our heart because one day soon you will come again and we will come back with you. To Jesus be glory, power, dominion now and forever. In Jesus' name. The church of God said amen. Clap your hands if you receive the word of God this morning. Let's stand. If my mama was here, and she's not, <clears throat> she's with her king. My mom used to have a favorite song, and she would, her, hands would, her hands and her hair would bounce years ago, way before you knew her. Her hands would bounce on the piano, and her hair would bounce. That was when big hair was a thing. Y'all don't remember that? She would sing, and my mom used to have a big voice, by the way. You didn't know that, Pastor Alice. By the time y'all got here, she was older and a bit tired. But young Pastor Alice was full of life and anointing, and, and just she would sing with power. She had a big voice, and she would sing, He is the King of Kings. I remember it. He is the Lord of Lords. And she would throw her hair back in her big Pentecostal hair. His name is Jesus, and I would love how she'd sing it. Jesus, Jesus, oh, He is the King. So love that song when I was little. I just want to do that when I was little. I'm serious. What a truth. Come on, let's freak out all the people that are waiting in the lobby. Like, is the service over yet? Come on, let's sing. Ready? He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, he is the king. Come on, one more time. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, he is the king. One more time. He is the His name is Jesus. Oh, give God praise. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody magnify our king. Hallelujah.